it's uh, Pentecost Sunday, and uh, it's the, the Jewish feast of, of Harvest Shavuot. It um, connects to, the, the Jewish feast connects to the, the giving, the, the Ten Commandments, you know, the giving of the Torah, but specifically the Ten Commandments, two tablets, ten words, God created a conscience and a culture into which he would incarnate. Wild, isn't it? And then uh, the book of Ruth is traditionally part of this um, Shavuot celebration, which is the inclusion of the Gentiles. Ruth the Moabitess becomes David's great granny. And uh, I think great or great, great. Um, But isn't that wild? It's just, but, and God picked this day to do something else creative, which was, Create the ecclesia, you know, create the, to birth the church, to transform cowards into witnesses, which the Greek word for witness is martyr, you know, like people that were bold in the face of persecution, opposition. The guy, same guys who'd run away from Jesus, um, Before, just a couple months before, less than a couple months before, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and just has all this revelation. What happened? The Holy Spirit happened. So it's new creation. It's, it's um, you know, the kingdom had been promised for really since the fall. God said in Genesis 3.15 to the serpent, the woman will have an offspring, a seed, and he will crush your head. You'll bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. In other words, it looks like you won. This, This is the battle between kingdom of God, which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, and the kingdom of darkness, chaos, disorder, and destruction. And so Pentecost, this is a big day. It's a big day. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, come. Um, so so it, I, anyway, we'll, we'll, let's take a... Oh, before I, before I dive in, I almost forgot my promised announcement. Darren Wilson uh, is a filmmaker... He made the movie Finger of God, made the movie um, Furious Love. Some of you, I mean, these were 2007, some of you may have never heard of him, but he's, he's uh, made a documentary called The God Man. I think there's, there it is, The God Man. And The God Man will be showing next Tuesday evening only, but it'll be showing in theaters all over America. Like, I don't know if other countries, but literally, you can type in, you can go to the, the website of, Rick, what's that? Fathom Events for, the, for this Godman movie and type in any zip code and it'll list all these theaters that are gonna show it one time. So now you know. Okay, a week from Tuesday, 
especially in Pennsylvania, people like to plan ahead, so now you know. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so we, that was, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. And the finger of God featured, you know, uh, George and Banoff and Heidi Baker. And we, we actually met Darren because we were on a trip along with, we met Rich and Linda Brink on that same trip. And, uh, and with George and Winnie and Heidi and Roland Baker joined us. It was all amazing. So, okay, I recommend it. But let's talk about this. God makes a promise that he'll win. <laughs> he makes a promise that no matter what has been done against us, he's going to set us free. And the truth sets us free. If we continue in his word, the truth sets us free. The Holy Spirit sets us free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And so freedom is, is one of the gifts of God. And, and so it's very interesting that the Holy Spirit is involved in creation. He's involved in the first creation. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created everything, heavens and earth. Genesis 1.2, wait, we've got a problem here. The earth is in chaos. It's without form, it's void. There's different, that's all it tells us. So there's different theories, like let's fill in the gap here. And one of the theories is that, that in between Genesis 1.1 and Genesis 1.2 was the rebellion in heaven and uh, Lucifer, the, the, who had been an archangel, is cast out of heaven along with one-third of the angels, and now they're on earth, and so they just mess everything up. That's a possibility. It is a possibility because it says darkness was on the face of the deep. But guess what God sends? He sends the Holy Spirit who is hovering over the face of the waters, which prepares God to speak. And when he speaks, he says, let there be light, right? Are we, we're in Genesis 1-3 now. And, uh, and is, I mean, let there be light, and immediately God separates the light from the darkness. And he saw that the light was good. But I want you to see something. When the Holy Spirit comes, he brings distinctions, which is the beginning of order. And out of order, we have beauty and we have liberty and we have freedom and we have all these things. So wherever lies come in, wherever rebellion comes in, we end up with disorder and chaos and it's without form and void. It's just so interesting that, you know, none of this is new. It's all old. So, all right. Are you, are you with me? Okay. So, God begins to create, like out of this chaos, he's going to bring something so beautiful, and he begins to speak, and he speaks, and actually, 10 times in Genesis 1, it uses this Hebrew phrase, vayomer Elohim, and God said. And so, whatever God said became, and one of the most significant things he said for us, and actually for him, and for all eternity, is... Genesis 1.26, let us make man, meaning mankind, in our own image. And so Genesis 1.26, and we'll, you know, bless him, and he'll have dominion. And he, but isn't that amazing? We're, we're created to be image bearers, 
not to create our own image, but to bear his image. And uh, Jesus is the perfect image of the Father. You know, so we, we understand the Father through Jesus. And so, so, um, so in verse 27, Genesis 1, 27, it says, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Isn't that amazing? Now, I want to point something out that it says he created man, but that word man includes all humanity, male and female. And in, you know, beginning in the, sometime in the 20th century, now that we're in the 21st century, we can talk about it like it's past, because some of you were born in the 21st century, but back in the 20th century, there was this Marxist, cultural Marxist movement called feminism that attacked language. And so, so now we always have to say he and she, and if we say man, where everybody before us for the last thousand years knew when you say man, it means everybody. But then everybody gets offended, so now we have to say man and woman, and some people are really stupid. They write books where they alternate between he and she. Have you, ever, have you read any books like that? I read some commentaries, like Bible commentaries, where it's talking about here the psalmist is expressing her, her feelings. And I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to be, quote, inclusive. But do you understand language is creative? And if we create problems with language that weren't actually there... It's all part of bringing chaos into the beauty. And if you teach people that unless you do that, it's oppressive, you're, you're, you're actually telling a lie. <laughs> do you understand? Like, let's talk about intersectionality, you know, which is like, you don't even know which truck hit you because you got lots of categories in which you're the victim. So there's all kinds of evil things that should be overthrown. It's just weird, isn't it? But understand, the word is so powerful that if we stay in the word, we'll get set free. And listen, I know I'm not trying to be mean to anybody. I'm not trying to step on any toes. And I probably have, and that's okay. Um, I'm not doing it with any mean intent or thinking I'm right and in charge of the world. I'm just observing the world around me, and I hope the Holy Spirit's giving me guidance. Holy Spirit... Help, <laughs> help me not say anything stupid or wrong. Help me to speak truth and freedom here in love in Jesus' name, amen. And so, so now God creates man, male and female, he created them. Isn't that great? Doesn't that set you free? Like, just, oh yeah, because the male and the female both express the image of God and there's no confusion there. There's no 23, 100, whatever choices, because it has to do with created order and God's intention, not what we feel like. How many know the truth will set you free, but your feelings will get you in trouble almost every time? I feel like, okay, so God blessed them, male and female, and he said to them, male and female, be fruitful, which it takes a male and a female to be fruitful. Did you know that? Okay. And, and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves. And so 
So mankind is given this assignment to, to be the representatives of God in the earth and to bring beauty and order all over the earth. Not to leave it in its wild, chaotic state, but actually to make it better, to release its potential. This is what, you know, and sadly, this doesn't get done. I mean, you know, we get corrupted by greed. We get corrupted by selfishness. We get corrupted by fear. We get corrupted by lies about our own identity. And we need the truth because the truth will set us free. And by the way, Jesus said, it's to your advantage, this is John 16, if I go away, because if I, if, if I don't go away, the, I can't send the helper. But if I go away, I'll send the helper, the advocate, the paraclete, if you, you, know, if you come from that. That's the Greek word, parakletos, the one who comes alongside, the advocate, the attorney, the encourager. It means a lot of great things. And uh, the exhorter, the football coach, get in there, you know, that, that empowers us and encourages us. But he said, I'll send the helper, the spirit of truth, and he will lead you into all truth, and the truth sets us free. And he, and he, and he will not speak about himself, but he'll take what's mine and make it known to you, and everything the Father has is mine. And so the spirit will take what is mine, which is also what is the Father, and make it known to you. Do you know that what is the Father's, is the Son's, is the Holy Spirit's? And so, so the Holy Spirit brings the entire Trinity to us, not, not in person, because he's a person, and this is really hard for us to understand. But, but In fact, I don't think we do, but it's just the revelation of Scripture that that what the Father is doing is what Jesus is doing is what the Holy Spirit's doing. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're doing what the Father is doing. Isn't that Jesus, what Jesus said? I only do what I see my Father doing. So this is why we need the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is hovering on the chaos and preparing it for God to speak and bring order and release all this potential and bring forth his image in the earth. Thank you, Jesus. But... This is the power of speech. Speech can create or destroy. The power of death and life is in the tongue. Proverbs tells us that. And so chapter two is awesome and, and amazing and romantic and um, God gives to mankind the, the assignment to name all the animals, which reminds me of a Bob Dylan song from the 1980s. Um, <laughs> yeah, I won't sing it, but I could probably sing it as good as Bob Dylan. Okay, no offense, Bob Dylan, but I'm just saying. Okay, Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen—they set the bar really low for musicality. Okay, but but they're great, great songwriters. Okay, Genesis three one. So so Adam and Eve. Eve is created or or made from Adam's side. And when Adam awakes, all his dreams come true. He's, he's like, whoa, you're bone of my bone, flesh of the flesh. He recognizes their common union. You know, he, he says, We're, you're like me, but better. <laughs> and, uh, and so they're in love. And they're there in Genesis 2. But in Genesis 3, the serpent, now where did the serpent come from? I think the serpent was there from Genesis 1.1. That's just my own 
opinion that the serpent was the cast down, you know, one of the cast down angels, perhaps the, the devil himself. But the serpent introduces doubt into what's a perfect order. And so Genesis 3.1, the serpent was more crafty, more subtle than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say? And so do you understand, this is the power of language. Like it's ne she's never heard a lie in her totality of existence. I don't know how long they were there before this happened, but they've only known the truth. And we, we discover a little later that they would have a daily visit with the father walking in the garden. Powerful. So she's only known truth, and now there's a, a question posed that has, a, which is there to create doubt. Language is really powerful, and sometimes... We, we get tricked by new words that are invented and used in new ways and spoken to us, and we're kind of like, what, what, what? Has that happened to you? I don't know if you noticed, but there was a homeless man who died on a subway in New York, and a, a, a Marine is being charged by the district attorney of New York City with murder, even though they let lots of people out with no bail there. But he's, they're going full on against him, but the stories about him, they don't say he's homeless. I mean, some of them do say he's homeless, but some of them, they use this term, an unhoused person. Now, why would they say, call a home, like a homeless person means he doesn't have it together, he doesn't have a home. An unhoused person, do you understand, that's a passive descriptor. Like somebody should have housed them and they failed to. So now he's a victim because he's unhoused. These are like weird things that you should be alert for when you hear something you've never heard before. You should stop and think, wonder what's behind that? Because there's an agenda behind language. Let me tell you. And here's the good part. The agenda behind this is life abundant. You know? <laughs> so anyway, okay, quick, Charles, quick. Okay, get out of the weeds. And, and so, but... Up to this point, she has a heavenly worldview. And, and so when he says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? She's thinking, yeah. The woman said to the servant, yeah, we can eat anything we want, all the trees in the garden. But God said, don't eat the, tree, the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you do. Why? Because distinctions create structure and you need structure to live. You know, we need, we need to know what's good, what's bad, what's light, what's darkness, what's deadly, what's living. So the, the very distinction is what sets us free. We know the truth and the truth sets us free. We know the difference between good and evil. And so, um, and then he says to her, um, and this is a lesson on the power of language and how lies and slander can really harm us. Um, the, the enemy makes a false promise. Verse four, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Whoo. 
And, and so what is he doing? It's, it's a flat out lie, but it introduces like, really? Because she's only heard the truth up until now. And so do you ever wonder why it used to be they waited till we got to college. When I got to, you know, I was a freshman at University of California, I heard all kinds of wacky things I'd never heard before. Some of them I kind of heard from my high school teachers. But when I got to, to Berkeley, I heard crazy things that I'd never heard for, from professors. Do you see that they've moved it? They want to teach very young children crazy things. Why? Because the unchildren, the little children are unprotected and they can be formed. There's a Greek word for this called paideia, which means shaping the heart and worldview of a child. So it's very deliberate. You know, and I'm not, it's, there's a serpent behind this. That's all I'm saying. There might be even nice people with good intentions doing this because they've been indoctrinated, but it's like we need to really know what we're dealing with. Do you? I hope I don't offend everybody here, but, okay. So not only does he make a false promise, like, you know, if we can just overthrow all the oppressive system, we'll all be happy and live forever, but he, but he uses character assassination. For God knows, verse five, that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. In other words, you'll be liberated. You won't be just a humdrum human being. You will have the means of production. You can produce your own world in your own mind. Is that wild? <laughs> and so she's pretty shocked by this. Just an, isn't it interesting how things get recycled? Um, but she is shocked by this. But here's the deal. Propaganda changes the way we see things. If we keep hearing a lie... So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, a delight to the eyes, and she begins to desire it to make her wise, like the, the propaganda, the lie has actually changed how she sees it. So if you teach a bunch of little kids that they might not be in the right body, what's gonna happen? It'll change the way it opens them up to be further deceived. So... Um, making applications here that are probably not helping, Lord. Um, but it, it's the world we live in, and we have to be aware of what we can distinguish between light and darkness and, and, and love in our response and not be thrown off. And so the woman, it changed what she saw and what she desired, and now she desires something that's actually gonna harm her, not help her. And so she goes for it, and, and her husband was there, and you wonder, like, what, were, what was he doing? Like, why didn't he say, shut up, snake? You know, but he didn't. Anyway, so, so we know the story. He ate, and when Adam died, we all died. You know, so the, and because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So that snake came in there to steal, kill, and destroy something so awesome, so precious. And then God has a promise. When he's, he comes in, he goes, and they were hiding because now they're ashamed. They see the difference between them and they're like, whoa, ah, you know, and they're, they're making bad clothes and uh, God makes them some nice leather uh, clothes. But anyway, but he's talking to them and he says, okay, what happened here? Adam, where are you? And, and so he, he, it's interesting because Adam doesn't do any confession. He just shifts the blame to Eve. And then when he talks to Eve, she says, 
she said, I was deceived by the snake. So she actually confessed her, her, uh, her failure there. And then, um, so then God talks to the snake and he preaches the gospel and he says, she's gonna have a seed, an offspring, and he'll crush your head. Okay, I already said that. So, so this re- releases death and destruction into the world. And so by, the, by Genesis 6, it's really bad. Genesis 4 Cain kills Abel, Genesis 6, all the imagination of the heart of man was only evil continually. And God was sad that he made him in the first place, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So, that, so there's, there's a dealing, an intervention to stop this chaos from totally conquering the world. And, and it's interesting that the intervention seems like chaos. It's a flood and it floods the whole world and, and it's basically a restart with Noah and his family. And that goes along pretty good until Genesis 11. By the way, those chapters are very important because they teach us that God makes nations, not a global, one world, global government, very important to know. <laughs> so, worldwide collectives. Okay, so the... But by the time we get to Genesis 11, the people say, look, we're going to stick together here in Babel, build a big tower, and we'll make a name for ourselves, and we won't be dispersed. And so God comes down and confuses the language. That's his intervention. His intervention into chaos was more chaos that took him back to they can't understand each other. And so they split up. And actually, I think it's how God created all the different groups and what we call races, even though there's only one race, the human race. But he, he, he separated people deliberately by what language they could understand. And so they stuck with the people they could understand. Okay, now he starts over with Abraham, one man. They go down, Abraham and his, his great-grandchildren end up in Egypt. His, and one of his grandsons ends up living in Egypt. And they do really well in Egypt. But after 400 years, what started out as a great blessing becomes slavery. And now they're enslaved by this Egyptian empire that's completely given over to the worship of demons. And God hears the cries of his people living in slavery and he intervenes. Sends Moses, sends plagues. Finally, the last plague, they can't take it. And they kick them out. But at the the very last plague, he, he introduces this lamb of God, this lamb that will protect them from the plague. And so they, they eat the lamb and they take the blood of the lamb, put it over the doorpost, and when the destroying angel comes and he sees the blood, he passes over, Pesach, them, and they live. And then he takes them through the Red Sea, destroys the army of Pharaoh, and they're like so happy. Then he takes them to Mount Sinai, gives them the Ten Commandments, which they promised to obey, and they didn't. And, uh, and it seems like, okay, now we're, we're good. We've got God's people. He takes them into the promised land. All kinds of amazing things happen, but eventually they backslide and they, and they end up in captivity. I mean, the amazing things I'm skipping over are like David and a heart after God and the tabernacle and God revealing that his presence in the center of his people is what makes, their, what makes us him his people. So, but... To cut this very, very long story short, 
they end up in captivity, they come back from captivity, and after 400 years of not hearing a word from God, being oppressed by the Roman Empire and everything else, angels start visiting them, and, and, and Angel Gabriel comes to Mary, she has Jesus, she's a virgin, and now the seed of the woman who's going to crush the serpent's head is born. He lives 33, 34 years, and has a brief ministry at the end of which, he, and he went around doing good, performing signs and wonders, speaking truth, and confronting the hypocrisy, and at the end of those years, he, they kill him. But that was all part of the plan because it was all part of the predetermined plan of God that he would die for the sins of the world on a cross. And so he takes away, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, behold the man who bore the sins of the world, you know, and... And so when he dies on the third, and they're all devastated, even though they, he said this was going to happen and he would come back, he comes back and they're all shocked, afraid, mystified, amazed. And then for 40 days, he appeared to them over and over, up to 500 at one time, according to um, Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. And Paul, who was out being totally demonized as a, as a you know, ultra-Orthodox jihadist killing Christians, eventually will bow his knee and serve the Lord with all his might. And so Jesus is resurrected from the dead in the cross. He destroys death. He destroys the one that had the power of death. He abolishes death. He brings life and immortality to light. And, a, and we begin a new era. And he's talking to these people and his, his disciples. Now, finally, we're going to get to the Bible here. Uh, Act. Acts chapter one, he presented himself to them alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. That was his topic. Like, actually, though it seems like chaos, there is a kingdom coming. And it began when he was born, maybe when he was conceived, the kingdom entered the earth. And people started saying, where is he that's born the king of the Jews? And and the, and the angel told Mary, he'll sit on the throne of his father David and all these messianic promises. And so he's talking to him about the kingdom. So that was the, the first major kingdom breakthrough you know, that was massively significant when he destroyed death and he resurrected massive kingdom breakthrough that death no longer rules over human beings, that everyone who comes to him is freed from death, doesn't pay the penalty of their own sin. He paid it for them and they can live forever. As many as will trust him will be, receive authority to become the children of God. Amazing. And be led by the spirit of God. Romans chapter eight. Okay. But it's not complete. And so he's talking to them about the kingdom and, and then he says, he ordered them not to depart out of Jerusalem, Acts chapter one, verse four, but wait for the promise of the Father. And then he tells them, you're gonna be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. John the, ba John the baptizer had said, the one who comes after me will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so he had also said this in Luke Chapter 24, he said, I'm sending the promise of the fa my father on you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So he says this to them, and their response is, um, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because it's their paradigm. Like, wait, he's the Messiah. Now he's risen from the dead. This might, we're, they're waiting for this kingdom that it, they've been taught since childhood 
of God where the people of God rule over the world. And so they ask him this question again, which might seem like a stupid question, but it, it was just part of their thinking. And then he says, it's not for you to know. I don't even know. Only the father knows, which I don't understand how the father can know something that the son doesn't know. But when we get to heaven, we'll find out all these things. And then he says, but then he says, but here's what you need to know. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Oh my gosh. So he says, the kingdom is coming in a way that's going to make all of you witnesses for me. Like, and so it happens. They, they, you know, he's taken up into the air. The angel says, why are you standing here looking at him? Uh, he's gonna come back in the same way. This same Jesus will come back in the same way that he, you see him going. But meanwhile, you need to go to a prayer meeting. So they go to this prayer meeting for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it's, and different things happen. But we come to Acts chapter two, verse one. At the end of 10 days, the day of Pentecost was fulfilled, it arrived, it had fully come. The Shavuot is here, they're at the feast of Shavuot when the law was given. Now something new is, which was an invasion of God's plan, image, and kingdom, but now a new powerful expression is about to occur. And they are there and suddenly, they're all together in one place, there's 120 of them, there's men and women there, Mary is there, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. And suddenly, verse two, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. It sounded like a hurricane. It sounded like an EF5 tornado. It was wild and scary, but it wasn't actually wind blowing. It was a sound. And simultaneous with the sound was something, a manifestation, divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. In other words, they became flames. They became fire. They became, sometimes there's little drawings and it's like little birthday candles on the heads of the disciples. But I feel like they were, they, there was like a sheath of fire. He said, you'll be endued with power. You'll be clothed with power from on high. So what was happening to them internally was being expressed in their very being. And I'm telling you, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a fire on us. And sometimes people see it. Sometimes people see light. And quite often people will see, you're talking to someone, you're looking at their eyes and you're going like, whoa, what's this? There's light in their eyes. It's not a demonic thing. It's love. It's truth. It's joy. It's everything that's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit is the kingdom of God. The kingdom is now coming within them to inhabit them. Verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and this may seem chaotic, but now they're going to begin to speak. Uh, they're going to begin to utter and declare things that they don't understand. It's like miraculous. They're speaking things, and there's a miracle of speaking. There's also a miracle of hearing because there were people dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at the sound, the multitude came together. It was the sound, the noise of what God was doing draws them, and they were bewildered they were confounded, they were confused. It was like, what is going on here? Because each one was hearing 
them speak in his own native language, like dialect. Not just like the major language, of, but the, the one from their village. They're all hearing this. How could God do it? It was a miracle. Miracle of speaking, miracle of hearing. And by the way, sometimes people speak languages that they don't know, and sometimes people hear and understand languages that they don't know. I mean, it's true. I mean, I'll tell you, here's an interesting story. Um, when Ann and I were young, we were, I don't know if we were already Christians or we were, it was like the week before we gave our lives to Jesus, but this young leader, we were, we were 21, this leader was 22. The, the people in this room were between the ages of 16 and 30, perhaps, you know, average age, probably around 20. And so Steve, who was the leader, Steve tells this story, and it had happened the year before. He said, we, we were in the mountains of Mexico. They were leading a mission team. They used to work with this evangelist named Frank Gonzalez. So they were, they were, he, he, was, he was one of the leaders. They had a, a big station wagon full of high school kids from this little country church, and they're down in the mountains of of Mexico along the west coast, Jalisco State, near, you know, west of Guadalajara. And they're up in the mountains and they've been sharing in different towns and cities, sharing the gospel, they sing, they you know, pass out tracts, they preach the gospel, they pray for people. And they're, they, but they don't, they don't have a plan. This was before, you know, no GPS, no cell phones, no any of this stuff. They have maps and they're up on this mountain road, it's a mountain pass in the coastal mountains of Mexico, and it's foggy at night, and they're up in the fog, they're up on the top of this little pass, and they're seeking the Lord. God, show us where, where, what we should do tomorrow. We don't know where, you know, we've kind of finished what we're doing here, we're going into this other area, should we go down to the coast, or should we stay here in the mountains? And out of the fog, comes this old man who they, you know, he looked like he was 80, which sounded really old when I was 20. Now it doesn't sound so old, but he might have been 90, you know. But he's an old man with leathery skin and, and uh, white cotton clothing like a, a, a Mexican peasant would be wearing. And he's walking along with a staff and out, out of the fog in the middle of the night, and he says to them, in Sp they are speaking Spanish, and he says, are you the ones that are sharing the news of Jesus with people? And they said, yes. And then he said, would you please come to my village? My village needs to hear the good news. And so they said, okay, where's your village? And he describes to them how to get there. So the next day, they go for a little drive, park their car, and they walk on a trail through the mountains and forests and they come to this unreached village. And in the village, they just come, you know, because they're looking for this man who invited them. They don't see him, but these other elders from the village come out and they're very hostile toward outsiders. And in this village, they spoke Spanish as a second language. They spoke their native, like native I don't know, Aztec dialect, Toltec dialect language, and so that they come in in Spanish, they say, what are you doing here? We don't, what are you white people doing here? And they say, well, we, we've come to share the good news of Jesus. 
And they said, why have you come? And they said, well, this, this old man from your village invited us. They said, who is he? And they, so they described him and they said, there's no one like that in this village. Hmm, might have been an angel, but you know, so, so they're going like, okay. They said, well, why do, do we want to hear about Jesus? They said, well, because Jesus came to save us from our sins. Jesus can heal the sick, he, you know, and, and different things. And they were, these guys were like witch doctors. And so they said, well, we don't believe you. And, uh, they, and they went into a, a, a hut and they brought out this teenage girl who had a very withered arm and was bent over. She was quite crippled. They brought him, put him right in the middle of the group. They said, okay, see if your Jesus heals her. If he does, we'll all believe. And if he doesn't, we're gonna kill you because we don't like outsiders coming to our village. And they're, like, there's no law out there. You know, it's just like, whatever they, well. So here's, you know, these teenagers, they're holding hands. They get the girl in the middle and they're holding hands and they're saying, Jesus, please, <laughs> heal her, help us, save us. So they're praying and they're, you know, probably the prayers were better than that. But when they're praying, the, the girl who's bent over like this, she straightens out her hand and her arm. She lifts her hand and she begins to sing praising God in perfect English, which she's never heard. This is what the Holy Spirit does. So they were speaking languages they never heard. She was speaking a language she had never heard, but they understood it. Um, I heard Ann told me that Yadira's father was here when she was speaking on Mother's Day and he was kind of nodding along with her sermon. She said, wow, he must really, you know, have a high comprehension of English and she talked to Yadira afterwards and she said, no, that was just supernatural. It, that happens with him. Am I telling the story correctly? Okay, because, <laughs> good thing, because, <laughs> okay. So, because you hear things, but I'm seeing, so there's, the other, like when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, nothing's impossible. Okay, so stand up. That's long enough sermon here. But, okay, so, you know, they, they asked, how is it that we hear each in his own language, um, the language of our birth? There's 15 nations there. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, thoroughly puzzled, saying, what does this mean? Others mocked and said, oh, they're just drunk. And then Peter stood up. Peter, who had left Jesus, stands up. He preaches this amazing sermon that's unplanned, unprepared, no notes. But he gets it like, oh, this is what Joel prophesied, that in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. There'll be blood and fire and signs in the sky. And, and, and he goes on and he preaches the whole gospel. And by the end, they're saying, what must we do to be saved? And he tells them, repent and be baptized. They're convicted in their heart. So here's what... I, I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to fill every one of us every day, all the time. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And sometimes we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, but we're not filled with the Spirit day after day, after hour, after minute. 
And when we're filled, can you imagine the third person of the Trinity comes and lives inside your body and fills you? Like nothing's impossible. The one who hovered over the darkness in the creation is in you. The one who can, if he's in you, the Father and the Son are in you. Do you and we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Here's what I want to do. I want you to lift your hands. And I, I just want to ask you, are you filled with the Spirit? Are you filled? Now, if you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then, you know, we will pray for that. And it's an encounter. And it'll change your life forever. And, we'll, and another time we'll talk about that specifically and and releasing spiritual gifts because this is what makes you witnesses for Jesus. Is that is, he's not an idea, he's a person. And so he, the spirit of truth, who's not a force or an it, but is he, the helper, has come in to us to help us. Is that amazing? The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is quickening your mortal body. And how can he do it? Because he's infinite and he's everywhere all at once. How can you worship in spirit and truth? Because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You were created to bear his image, not to make your own image, not to define your own image, not to work on your image, but to bear his image. And this is what the Holy Spirit transforms us from from glory to glory because he shows us his image and he changes us and the truth sets us free. Do you understand? Does anybody here feel like you, you need, like not, it's not even that you need, that you want even more of the Holy Spirit than you already have. And so I just want to pray. You know, when we pray, Holy Spirit, come, it's, we're praying for the kingdom to come. It's the kingdom. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So when we're saying, Holy Spirit, come, we're saying, I want your kingdom. I want your righteousness, your peace, your joy. I want the image of Jesus expressed in my life, in my family, in my work, in my driving, in my sleeping, in my thinking, in my feeling. How many, you know, when you, there's something that happens when you're in, when you encounter a reality, it marks you. There's a before and an after. Before the day of Pentecost, Peter was pretty sketchy. After the day of Pentecost, he became a powerful leader who would stand, even when he gets out of jail, he would speak to the rulers and saying, I want to tell you what's going on here. And he declared it to him. And after they threatened him, he went to the prayer meeting, told them, and they all said, give us more, Lord, more boldness. Stretch out your hand. How many of you just, you want to be filled with the spirit of truth? You want to be filled with the spirit of love? <laughs> this is the Holy Spirit. Lift your hands up. I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us to a point of overflow continually? Would you come and would you remind us on this day of Pentecost that we are meant to be filled and overwhelmed and running over and saturated with your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Whew, Shabbat. Well, I better give an interpretation. If you speak in tongues publicly, you're supposed to give it an interpretation. I, I, you know, I actually don't know what Shabbat means, but I think it means something like he's good. <laughs> and he's enough. And he brings, he said, I'll bring you into rest. And it, and it comes because it's a language I don't understand, but it often will well up, especially in my private prayer life. And there's much more, but I would rather speak 10 words that you can understand than 100 that you can't. So how many, you just want more of the Holy Spirit? Lift your hands. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come because you're better than we know? Would you come because we need you? Would you come and empower us to be your witnesses, to be your martyrs, to not be intimidated, not be afraid? Would you come and be the spirit of truth that, that allows us to distinguish between truth and error, God, that, that gives us the grace to speak the truth in love and in joy and not be intimidated or fearful? God, we pray for boldness and power boldness and power lift your hands up lift your hands up and if if the person next to you is comfortable I hate to do this because sometimes people are like oh that's creepy so if it's creepy you don't have to do it but if you want to just go ahead and, and touch the hand of the person next to you in a very holy and appropriate way I might add and just say God move among us move through us flow through us like fire like light like living water like with the powerful molten love of Jesus. God, would you release your new creation into this world, God? We're, God, we're, this is your solution to the wokeness around us, is that we would shine brighter and be bolder, God. We just pray for miracles. We pray for opportunities. We pray you would deliver those who've been captured by propaganda, who've believed a lie, whose worldview has been skewed, maybe even as young children. God, we pray for this amazing harvest among the confused, an amazing harvest among the deceived, an amazing harvest among the nations. God, give us creative miracles that we know how to love people that are pretty scary to look at God that we could see beyond their appearance and see the need and the hunger and their heart and the desperation in Jesus name can you say amen amen, amen.